to the Counter Vortex with me, Bill Weinberg. We're opening up with some sounds of the Syrian Oud master, Hussein Sabsabi. And we're going to be talking, quite obviously, about the extremely horrific situation in Syria on this podcast And uh, I am delivering this podcast in a um, state of extreme anguish because I have to say that the intellectual dishonesty and moral cowardice of what is called, with ever less reason, the anti-war left has sunk to levels that even my cynical ass never would have thought possible just a few short years ago. Now, mind you, I am a uh, a child of the anti-war left. That was how I came of age politically. But the anti-war left has now morphed into its complete opposite and has actually become pro-war, pro-fascism, and pro-genocide. And if you don't realize this, it's because you haven't thought it through. And tonight... I am going to help you to think it through by discussing the um, extremely hypocritical response to the airstrikes that uh, Trump just carried out two nights ago as I speak on various targets around the area of Damascus and homes in Syria. And there's a sense of deja vu to all of this because it comes almost exactly a year after. We saw pretty much the same thing, where in response to a regime chemical attack 
a chemical attack carried out by the Bashar Assad regime at a place called Khan Shikun. Trump launched air raids on a um, on an airbase on a regime airbase apparently the same airbase that the um, that the chemical attack had been launched from and there were all this whole spate of anti-war protests in response to this now in the weeks and months prior to this Trump had been carrying out relentless airstrikes not on re- on uh, on air bases but on cities filled with civilians, particularly the city of Raqqa and Mosul across the border in Iraq, which were then in the hands of the Islamic State, so-called Islamic State, in the hands of ISIS. And in those, uh, in those weeks and months prior to, the, um, to Trump's airstrikes in response to the Khan Shikun attack, there had been something like um, upwards of 500, perhaps as many as 1,000 civilians killed in U.S. airstrikes on Raqqa and Mosul, which elicited no protests from the anti-war forces in this country. Zero. I live in New York City, and I can state authoritatively, because I follow this stuff very, very closely, that there were absolutely no street protests held in New York City during the entire time that Trump was bombing Raqqa and Mosul, jacking up this incredible, ghastly toll in civilian casualties. But as soon as he took out a few regime warplanes at an airbase, the same airbase which had been used to launch a chemical attack days earlier, then the so-called anti-war hypocrites took to the street to protest. After complete silence over the bombardment of Raqqa and Mosul, which went on for weeks and months, not to mention complete silence, of course, over the destruction of the city of Aleppo, by Bashar Assad and Vladimir Putin and their relentless, savage aerial bombardment of those cities. So it seems pretty clear what their priorities are for the anti-war people. Syrian lives don't matter. Bashar Assad regime warplanes are what matter for them. And now we are witnessing a replay of this shameful episode where a week ago, the regime, it seems, almost certainly, I'm going to hedge my bets by saying almost, although it isn't even really warranted. I'll speak more about that later. Carried out a chemical attack at the town of Duma in what was then the besieged enclave of Eastern Gouda, which has since fallen to regime hands. Possibly, you know, in large part as a result of that um, chemical attack, which had the logic of um, terrorizing the population into submission, which has been the logic of Bashar Assad in his war ever since 2011. In response to this chemical attack, now Trump, joining with the British and the French, has carried out air raids 
wider air raids this time on um, basically on chemical warfare facilities, on laboratories and military bases, not on civilian targets. There have been, um, as of now, there have been no reports of civilian casualties whatsoever, none, and uh, the uh, and no and and no deaths. A few casualties of um, military personnel have been reported, but they weren't killed; they were injured, and no civilian casualties. And as if this double standard were not bad enough, where when Syrian civilians are being bombed, we don't protest. But when Syrian regime warplanes that are used to kill civilians are bombed, we do protest as if that double standard were not bad enough. The so-called anti-war voices are also essentially rushing to the defense of the regime and responding that uh, we need to see evidence that the, um, that the Duma chemical attack was actually carried out by the regime, or even worse, engaging in this utterly irresponsible speculation about how it was a false flag attack. Now, I would like to know what evidence, quote-unquote, would be good enough for these people. Bashar Assad was verified by a United Nations investigation of having carried out last year's Khan Sheikhoun chemical attack. The UN Verification Commission also documented at that time over 30 other chemical attacks carried out over the course of the Syrian war. Every one of them was on rebel-held areas. And there have been several since then over the course of the past year, smaller ones, less spectacular than the one that we just saw at Douma. The latest attack in Douma came as the town had been intensively bombed for weeks by Assad and Putin. Now, do you think it is logical that the rebels gassed themselves as a provocation, which is what the so-called anti-war hypocrites say every time? Isn't it funny how the rebels seem to have so much poisonous gas, yet they only ever use it against themselves. And the only time it's ever used is in areas which have been coming under intensive bombardment by the Assad regime and its Russian allies. This is not intellectually serious. This is grasping at straws. Another frequent response that we're getting right now is changing the subject. Responding, what about Gaza? What about Yemen? Etc., etc. Now, what Israel is doing in Gaza at the moment is horrific and needs to be protested and opposed. What Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen and has been for years now is horrific and needs to be protested and needs to be opposed. But when you use Yemen and use Gaza as a distraction from what is happening in Syria, you are exploiting dead Palestinians and dead Yemenis for propaganda purposes. This is an example of what is called whataboutery. 
the favorite um, tactic of war criminals everywhere. Point out the atrocities committed by a particular war criminal, and he will inevitably point to somebody else's atrocities as if that lets him off the hook. And Bashar Assad has used this tactic over and over again. Every time he's uh, cornered by a journalist and asked to account for his atrocities, he immediately points to the crimes of Israel as if this sort of lets him off the hook. And interestingly enough, Israel does exactly the same thing. So if you're using this whataboutery line, you are not only echoing Bashar Assad, you are also echoing almost verbatim, if you just change the names of the places, um, Avigdor Lieberman, the um, ultra-reactionary Israeli defense minister, who every time you point out the atrocities that Israel has committed in Gaza, he'll immediately say, what about the atrocities that Bashar Assad is committing in Syria and Hezbollah are committing in Syria? Why don't you talk about that? So you're engaging in exactly the same dishonest propaganda tactics of the people that you ostensibly oppose, like Avigdor Lieberman and the propagandists of the Israeli state. Nice company you're in, guys. The next line we hear is um, essentially that the victims deserved it for being CIA jihadists. Even the children, apparently. We hear over and over again the lie that the Syrian opposition is monolithically jihadist, which is not true. We'll have more to say about this later. Even if we were to assume, purely for the sake of argument, that it were true, it wouldn't make any difference to the moral equation here. Justifying acts of genocide as necessary to counterinsurgency against a demonized enemy is the logic of Guernica and the logic of my lie. So, once again, very nice company you're in. And unfortunately, this lie that the opposition is all jihadist even extends to the White Helmets, the um, Volunteer Civil Defense Corps, which operates in areas of opposition control in Syria. We hear this lie over and over again, absolutely baseless, that they are... um, that they are, you know, jihadists, they're in bed with al-Qaeda, they're on the payroll of the CIA, blah, 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 blah. When what they actually do is put their own lives on the line, unarmed, mind you, unarmed. Volunteer civil defense workers putting their own lives on the line to rescue trapped civilians from the rubble of bombed-out buildings. If you oppose this, then you're essentially rooting for civilian victims of, Bash- of, of Assad's aerial bombardment to die. And do you comprehend how morally depraved it is to echo this baseless lie that the White Helmets are jihadist and terrorists? 
Do you grasp how this is legitimizing armed attacks on first responders? It is unethical in the extreme to echo this kind of propaganda. This is not just empty talk. This has real-world consequences. You are abetting war crimes by echoing this propaganda. And I'm afraid that some people actually believe this nonsense about the opposition being monolithically jihadist because they have a very poor sense of the Syrian conflict and its roots and what has been driving it from the very beginning because they're getting their information entirely from confirmation bias sources. And I will call out particularly Counterpunch, The Nation magazine, Amy Goodman, etc. As opposed to actually looking at sources created by people on the ground, people who are actually committed to democratic change in Syria. You can go to the website of the White Helmets. You can go to the website Adopt a Revolution. You can go to the website Syria Deeply, Syria Direct, EA Worldview. All of these websites will give you a better sense of what's going on. And if you're going to merely dismiss them because they disagree with your POV, then you're afraid of getting any information which is going to challenge your POV. And that is a recipe for error. I read Counterpunch and I listen to Amy Goodman, so I know exactly why I disagree with them. But I also read sources which I consider to be more legitimate. So I'm not getting all of my information from the same sources which have led the so-called anti-war left in this country into the grave error of believing that Bashar Assad stands for secularism and that the revolution opposing him is all CIA astroturf, which is condescending and ultimately racist nonsense, implying that Arab people are incapable of organizing a revolution on their own. and can bloody well suffer under a genocidal dictatorship. Here in a nutshell is the actual trajectory of the Syrian revolution, which is a matter of public record, if you care to look at it. There was this regional movement in 2011 called the Arab Revolution, better known in Western parlance, Western media parlance as the Arab Spring. It began in January of that year in Tunisia, where the dictator was toppled in a popular uprising. And this set off a wave of similar uprisings in Egypt, Libya, Bahrain, Yemen, and elsewhere around the Arab world, which met with varying outcomes. In March of that year, 2011, the wave reached Syria. The incident which sparked the uprising in Syria was when a group of school children painted the Arab Spring slogan, the people want the fall of the regime, on a wall in the town of Dera. They were arrested and tortured, sparking a wave of protests. 
regime forces repeatedly responded by massacring peaceful, unarmed, pro-democracy demonstrators. After months of this, the opposition began to arm and eventually formed the Free Syrian Army. Assad responded by escalating the genocide, unleashing poisonous gas attacks and massive aerial bombardment of areas of the country where the opposition had seized control. Later, jihadis took advantage of the chaos, forming groups like ISIS and the Nusra Front and seizing chunks of territory as well, prompting the great powers to intervene. And here we are at the current extremely dangerous juncture. But the civil opposition that started the revolution is still alive and is still in control of many areas of the country. The local coordination committees, which were the grassroots, unarmed civil opposition, committed to principles of democracy, self-organization, secularism, and a multicultural Syria, still exist even now, that they've been completely eclipsed from the headlines by all of these utterly ruthless armed actors. They still exist. And they are still the de facto authorities in many areas of the country. Well, shrinking areas of the country now that Assad, thanks to Russian intervention, is seizing so much territory. But in several areas of the, particularly in Idlib province, the mass major bastion of opposition control. And you hear about these, uh, you know, jihadist militias that are in control of, of, uh, of, of Idlib. And in many areas of Idlib, the jihadist militias are in control. That's true. But in many areas of Idlib, the local coordination committees are in control. And in fact, they've actually held popular uprisings in towns in Idlib to drive out the jihadist militias. Just as back in 2011 and 2012, they held popular uprisings to drive out the Bashar Assad forces. So the Syrian revolution still exists in spite of everything. And by failing to recognize this and portraying the opposition in Syria as monolithically and exclusively jihadist and in the pay of the CIA and the Saudis, you are engaging in a grave betrayal of fundamental human solidarity. All right, now let me state that there are valid arguments to be made against Trump's airstrikes, against uh, regime targets. It sets a precedent for the use of force abroad by the fascistic Donald Trump. And the fact that he has uh, won some perceived moral creds by responding to an act of mass murder when he is also a mass murderer of Syrians and is barring Syrian refugees from the United States, this is a political tragedy and a part of the situation that fills me with anguish. And there's also a legitimate point to be made about the risk of superpower confrontation and nuclear war which could arise from Trump airstrikes on regime targets, as opposed to his airstrikes on civilian targets in areas which are held by ISIS, which hold no risk of superpower confrontation because Bashar and Putin are very happy to see those places getting bombed by Trump. But yes, 
the airstrikes on regime targets invite a Russian response and certainly heighten the risks of escalation, potentially to the unthinkable. But all of the quote-unquote anti-war hypocrites who have abetted Assad's genocide over the past five years by denying it or making excuses for it again and again are utterly complicit in having brought the world to the brink. They help make the use of weapons of mass destruction acceptable. They help place us on the slippery slope to Armageddon that they now sanctimoniously warn us against. So, while there's a legitimate point about the risk of superpower confrontation here, unless you also vigorously oppose Assad's use of weapons of mass destruction and general war of extermination against the Syrian people, opposing Trump's airstrikes for fear of escalation comes down to the depraved, cowardly, and ultimately racist notion that the Syrians should submit to genocide as the price of world peace. Another response from the anti-war people is um, they will immediately protest that they don't actually support Assad. They just oppose U.S. intervention. But when, in fact, you do not oppose U.S. bombardment of Syrian civilian areas that are not controlled by Assad, and when you echo the regime propaganda about how the rebels are all jihadists, and you rush to exculpate the regime at every atrocity that it's ever committed, then, in fact, you do support Assad. And it's extremely disingenuous to pretend that you don't. Because you are giving it, you are giving the Assad regime exactly the kind of propaganda support that it wants. You are objectively supporting the regime of Bashar Assad. And don't flatter this by calling it an anti-war position, because it is not. It is the opposite. It is a pro-war position. It is a position in favor of the war of extermination against the Syrian people being carried out by Bashar Assad and Vladimir Putin with the connivance of Donald Trump, I will add. So any legitimate anti-war position has to begin with opposing the most destructive force in the war, the man who started the war by trying to drown in blood a peaceful protest movement in 2011 and who continues to drive the genocidal logic of the war, Bashar Assad. And any legitimate anti-war position has to begin with solidarity for the Syrian revolution, which continues to be a revolution in spite of everything, in spite of the relentless bloodshed that we have seen over the past seven years now, in spite of utterly ruthless armed actors coming to dominate the headlines and in spite of the denialism of the poorly named anti-war forces in the West 
the pro-democracy Syrian revolution continues to exist. And if you're going to have anything at all to say about Syria, you have got to begin with solidarity for those forces, for the secular pro-democracy forces in Syria, which continue to exist. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Please check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon. Please be in touch to tell us what you think. Join the resistance. Join the Counter Vortex. Talk on you next time.